Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, I'm joined by MLS Commissioner Don Garber, who discusses a range of topics, including Atlanta's MLS record purchase of Ezequiel Barco, what's happening with expansion, including in Miami, the role of Soccer United Marketing in U.S. soccer, and the U.S. soccer presidential election. I also ask him if he'll pledge to work with the election winner if it's not the candidate he's supporting, Kathy Carter. I will say this, that I encourage the candidates to think about some of the comments they're making about the Division I league in this country and start, I guess, I scratch my head to think about how when you say some of the things you say, that that's going to help you, if you do get elected, have the ability to lead arguably one of the members that's contributing so much for the sport. All that and more coming up. Our guest today has been the MLS commissioner since 1999. Don Garber was an NFL executive before he got the top MLS job, but I think it's fair to call you a soccer guy now. Don, thanks for joining me. That's good to be here, Grant. It took took 18 years, (laughs) but (laughs) thanks for that. (laughs) Lots to talk about. uh, Many things going on right now, but MLS preseason camps have just started this week. This is MLS's 23rd season. What are the things that stand out to you the most about the season ahead? Well, very quickly, it's coming off of our best season ever in 2017 with uh, ratings increase and attendance increases and new teams and the like. So momentum leading into uh, our uh, 2018 season. Lots of great new signings, including Zekiel Barco. What an amazing situation to have a team spending $15 million. Atlanta United. Atlanta United to sign a player. Who would have thought that would have happened a year ago, let alone five or 10 years uh, ago? LAFC uh, coming on as our 2013 in a a brand new stadium. Uh, We'll be playing in the summer in D.C. United's new stadium, Audi Field. An influx of young designated players and now finally able to see how TAM has allowed us to bring in some new attacking young players, primarily from South America, and re-signing some players. Last year, Dax McCarty, Perry Kitchen coming back with TAM money. So many exciting things to look forward to. You mentioned LAFC. It's starting its first season. A lot of people are going to want to compare it to Atlanta United and what it did in its first season last year, which was pretty incredible. Is that fair or unfair? Well, I I think it's unfair. I mean, every team needs to have its own identity. It has to have its own place in the history of the league. I've spent time speaking with Bill McGuire, the owner of Minnesota United. I mean, by any other measure in any other time in any other league, it would be one of the great expansion launches in all time. And it was. But you're comparing it against something which was unprecedented, which surprised us all and really caught the attention of the rest of the world. I think what you'll see in L.A. is a a very uh, new brand that's going to be based around their young owners and their approach to try to be, in many ways, what NYCFC was to the New York Red Bulls, a rival, a uh, an opportunity for fans to have a new team to root for, creating a dynamic in a really, really important market. So I don't think it's an Atlanta comparison. It's going to be, hey, what does this mean to uh, the LA Galaxy and how do they step up? 
having a challenging season last year and uh, get back to the glory that they've had for the dominance of MLS for so many years. Very much looking forward to that intra-city rivalry in Los Angeles. Uh, Expansion-wise, Nashville is in as of December. When do you expect a decision on Cincinnati, Sacramento, or Detroit? Uh, Why has there been a delay from the original plan on announcing that second expansion team? Um, And before I get to Miami, I'll let you answer that one. Sure. So, you know, Nashville came together so quickly, so powerfully, so connected in the community, Grant. It was unbelievable. I mean, it to me, very much like the unexpected success of Atlanta was the unexpected rise and the completeness uh, and the just the overall excitement about what happened in Nashville. They came in. They won us over. They had a great plan. They had a great stadium plan. They had great public support. And they got to the finish line really, really fast with a signed agreement. Frankly, we wanted to name two of those before the end of the year. Uh, and we have at least three that we could pick one from. We want to wait to have those agreements uh, finalized. I expect that we'll have announcement in the next 30 to next 60 days. Uh, It's either Sacramento, Detroit, or obviously Cincinnati, and we're working pretty hard to finalize it. Nobody should be remotely concerned that there are any issues whatsoever. I mentioned Miami briefly. Miami and David Beckham certainly make it sound from their perspective like MLS is close to announcing them as an official expansion team after a very long wait. Is that true from your perspective? Yeah, it it, it is, Grant. I mean, this took a long time, but I think everyone will see in the weeks to come that we will be announcing a new team uh, in a market that we felt was very, very important, a strategic gateway to South America, a very culturally significant part of our country and a market we wanted to have an MLS team in. And I'm just a believer after so many years of the trials and tribulations of building MLS over the last two decades, that great things come to those that wait. Sometimes if you get out too fast in front of what's right, you could make mistakes and get it wrong. Uh, And uh, we worked hard to get this one right. As you've heard, we've got a new ownership group that's come together with David Jorge Masse, really connected and successful and and soccer-oriented local owner. Marcelo Claret, chairman of Sprint, uh, CEO of Sprint, and a guy that owns a team in Bolivia, just announced building a new stadium. And now you have Masa Son, who is the, uh, the founder of one of the most important technology companies in the world, investing in this team. So I think when it all comes together, People will be very, very excited, and uh, that time's coming really soon. On the other end of things, Columbus Crew. I wanted to ask you, most people I speak to think the Columbus Crew will move to Austin next year. What is it going to take to keep the crew in Columbus? Well, let me start by saying I say this every time I'm asked about this, Grant. No, No league wants to move a team. You know, this is not something that we take lightly. It's not something that wasn't uh, carefully thought out in terms of what is it that we need to do to ensure the crew can be successful. And as you've heard me saying, while it is an original team and a legacy team and one that in many ways is close to the hearts of soccer fans that are involved with uh, Major League Soccer, it has struggled to resonate. It has struggled financially. It has struggled to be able to stand alongside all of the other teams in Major League Soccer, and to be able to succeed. Uh, So Anthony Precourt has uh, been working to try to see if he can uh, get a situation in Austin that will allow that team to be more successful. And he's got work to do to be able to achieve that, though he is 
working hard to find a stadium solution. At the same time, on a parallel path, whether it's the mayor or it's the Columbus Partnership or it's local investors, others are trying to figure out what could they do to ensure that the crew could stay and be successful. We all know that having a different stadium situation is number one. Having more corporate uh, support is number two. Having a larger fan base, uh, more folks that really care about the team to make it relevant. You know, I just saw an article in the New York Times came out yesterday about great urban stadiums that have been built in our country and what that's doing to drive economic opportunity. And what do they talk about? The new nationwide arena or the nationwide arena for the hockey team in in Columbus built for with public funds in addition to a local baseball stadium that was built with uh, local funds and we have not been able to get the public uh the, the the powers that be if you will to understand we will not be able to succeed long term out in the fairgrounds so there's a lot of work to be done i want to say i am sympathetic to the situation we don't take the issue lightly when Anthony Precourt bought the Columbus crew, there was, as I understand it, a clause in the contract that mentioned Austin as a potential move destination for the team. What were the circumstances that led to MLS agreeing to that clause? Well, it, it starts with we uh, were very focused. The Hunt family was very focused to get a local owner for the club. And as you've heard me say, I hired a local investment bank. They worked for 18, 24 months to try to find a local investor from the city of Columbus. And nobody, not one person, stepped up to make a legitimate offer for the team. So at that time, we then went outside the community grant and looked at somebody from afar and found Anthony Precourt, who lives in San Francisco. Anthony said, hey, I really want to be involved in Major League Soccer. I'm not quite sure that the Columbus crew is a team that I think has long-term viability, but I'm all in. And I will agree to operate this team. I'll put all my resources against it. I'll hire a great coach, which he did in Greg Berhalter. I'll put together a good team. It is one of our most successful teams since he's owned it. I'll invest in the stadium. All things that he did with the sole purpose of being successful. And after all that, he has not been able to be as successful as he needs to be. When he made that acquisition, all teams have the opportunity in all leagues to come to the league and say, I can't succeed. I need some help. Are there options for me in another market? In his case, when he said that upon uh, purchase, we said, we'll agree that all teams have that with league approval, but we're going to limit you to only one market. Hmm. And that one market was Austin. And that was because we had no expansion activity going on uh, at that time. So a lot has happened since then. That was five years ago. Things change, times change. I don't know how this ultimately gets resolved, but I will tell you that we are as, inf- as focused on keeping the team there as Anthony is working to try to see if there are any other alternatives. With Sunil Gulati deciding not to run for re-election as U.S. soccer president, the election campaign is wide open with eight candidates. What are your impressions of the campaign so far? Well, uh, you know, I think the current political climate has uh, has made sort of divisiveness, uh, you know, one of the dominant emotions of our time. You know, I do believe that people are angry, and I think they're disappointed uh, about our failure to qualify for Germany. Uh, I'm disappointed. For Russia. For Russia, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm disappointed, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, I feel the same way. I, I could actually really understand that. But, you know, um, it's understandable that uh, at these times when people are angry, 
the loudest voices tend to be the voices that uh, get heard. You know, we have candidates that are attacking each other. We have candidates that are attacking the Federation. We have candidates that are attacking uh, the League. Uh, and uh, what's being lost is this idea that the Federation does need to change. And with Sunil stepping down, that's going to happen. It needs more inclusiveness. It needs better communication. It needs uh, the opportunity for us to really work together as member councils so that we can achieve this goal of being one of the preeminent sports in our country. There needs to be a increased focus on equality and diversity. Uh, there's, there needs to be a deep evaluation of the player development system from the bottom all the way up to the top. Uh, and I believe that these loud voices are going to prevent this need for a leader to get elected that has the skills, that has the leadership uh, qualities, that has the experience to actually bring us all together and put a plan in place that will allow us to achieve our goals. So I will say I have been disappointed by what I've been hearing, but I'm hopeful that the membership is smart and I am a, one of those members and that will make the right decisions so that the Federation can move forward on a successful and positive path. You have said publicly that you are supporting Kathy Carter, the on-leave president of Soccer United Marketing. Why? You know, I've known Kathy for a long time. I know for 18 years. Uh, she has uh, tremendous business acumen. She has great leadership skills. And she is of the game and from the game, Grant. You know, she has played as a youth participant. She's coached uh, youth soccer. She's played Division I uh, soccer at William & Mary. She's been involved in the 1994 World Cup. She's been on FIFA committees, CONCACAF committees. She was one of the founding members of Soccer United Marketing and perhaps is one of the most experienced sports marketing uh, executives in the entire industry. She loves the game and comes to it with this, this desire to leave a very promising career and go serve in a volunteer role because this is an unpaid position and try to be a new voice, to be a fresh perspective, to get focused on perhaps having a woman leader, one of the few in any of the NGBs in the country and certainly any of the FAs in the world of global for, uh, football and bring a new fresh perspective. She knows the professional game. She knows the youth game. She's a former athlete. So from the league's perspective, and we have a vote, our owners have a vote and a seat at the table represented by Major League Soccer. She's the candidate that we think will represent the best agent for positive change. If she does not win, will you pledge to work with whoever does win? Well, you know, I remember this during the presidential election, right? And it was such an interesting thing in the debates. And uh, I will say this, that I encourage the candidates to think about some of the comments they're making about the Division I league in this country and start, I guess, I scratch my head to think about how when you say some of the things you say, that that's going to help you, if you do get elected, have the ability to lead arguably one of the members that's contributing so much for the sport. I just want to say a couple of things, Grant. You know, this is a league that, that started with such low expectations and the view that professional soccer at the highest level would never succeed. And look at where we are today. You know, signing great players, developing great players, investing billions and billions of dollars to build this league, 
to be a good member of the Federation, to contribute in our communities. We have 4,000 employees. We're spending over $320 million in player salaries this year. We'll spend $50 million in player development. To think that that could be something that any candidate wouldn't look at and say, we got a pretty good member here. How do we work with them to ensure that we all could move forward together? Kind of surprises me. Okay, let's get specific then. What is something that a candidate has said in this campaign about your your league that you're like, I don't think I could work with this person if they win the election? Well, I, I think the, listen, you've reported on it. Uh, one of the things that uh, doesn't surprise me because we live in a world where people will say things to get elected uh, that they can't deliver on. So comments about our schedule. Uh, to think that you have some of the smartest people in the world of professional soccer not spending their time thinking about how to put together the right competition format is just ridiculous. We have World Cup coaches, World Cup players. We've got folks that are working in the league that have been in the game at the highest level for way higher and more engaged than any other candidate working on those things that need to come in place to be sure that we could continue the success that we've been on the calendar this idea of promotion and relegation as if if you win the second division you're contributing to the sport as opposed to your own desire to move up and all those other things you've heard me say over the years about promotion relegation this idea that we would be limiting our expansion based on what a federation president wanted or that there would be any other um, uh, federation mandated uh, restrictions on what professional soccer should or should not be doing. Uh, there are so many things, all of it been reported. I don't think we need to spend our limited time together, focus too much on that. How important is this U.S. soccer election? Are we making too big a deal of it in the media? No, I think it is important. You know, I'm going to go back to my comment before. I think that, you know, we are all, and as a member, I say this, we're, we, we are ready for change. Uh, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time over the last two months speaking to members, speaking to our owners, speaking to players, speaking to members of the youth soccer and adult soccer community, speaking to other athletes, both men and women. And I think there's the sense that the Federation needs to be more connected to its constituents and it needs to be less top down and more, if not middle and top to bottom or bottom up. And I think that is... Um, positive, and I'm a big supporter of that. But I think that that opportunity of, of a good idea is somehow getting lost in some of the vitriol and some of the uh, promises that can't be kept and some of the positions that people were taking for the sole purpose of getting elected. And I think what we all as voting members need to be focused in on is this is a serious job and needs a serious person to lead it. I've been on that board for 18 years. It is complicated. And I am a supporter of change and a supporter of a new path forward. But I do believe it's really, really important that we get it right. One of the flashpoints between the candidates in the campaign has been the role of Soccer United Marketing, a for-profit company owned by MLS owners with its business partner, U.S. Soccer, a nonprofit. Candidate Eric Winalda said, quote, MLS has used some to have a de facto monopoly on U.S. soccer policy and power, end quote. 
Candidate Carlos Cordero, who's the current vice president of U.S. soccer, said, quote, the unique ownership of some creates conflicts that need to be addressed. To avoid any and all conflicts going forward, USSF will need to ensure that any individuals with potential conflicts of interest are recused from any future negotiations with some. That is why I have proposed a new board-level commercial committee to be chaired by one of our independent board directors to oversee the entire process, end quote. You and I will discuss this topic in more detail for an upcoming written story, but do you agree with Cordero that there are conflicts that need to be addressed? I, I don't, Grant. I mean, it, it's, it surprises me because Carlos has been on the board for a decade. Uh, he has been part of every discussion that took place at the board regarding the sum agreements and knows all well that anybody associated with Major League Soccer has been entirely recused from those discussions. They've been out of the room, whether that's me, whether that was Jeff Agus, for example, when he was working for Major League Soccer, or any other athlete that's associated with our league. That is the Federation's policy. And again, we're serious people. We understand that this um, relationship, which is so strategically important for the growth of the sport, is one that needs to be uh, beyond any question. So anybody could look at our minutes and see the fact that we've been 100% recused from those discussions. The negotiations were done with Dan Flynn, who's the CEO of the organization, and that's his responsibility. So uh, it was uh, uh, something that was free of any conflict. So I was surprised uh, to hear those comments. And as it relates to Eric's comments, there is absolutely no monopoly. The sum agreement with uh, um, MLS and, and, and the United States Soccer Federation is about us putting together an engine that can drive the economic growth of the sport for all members, not just the Federation, but for anybody that's involved in the sport commercially. Just to give you some, some stats that have never been communicated before, Grant, between the first agreement we've done and 2022, we will pay the Federation over $300 million in guaranteed revenue, money that guarantees their budget, that eliminates all risk, like if you don't qualify for the World Cup, and in essence is a opportunity for us to use the, the expertise of hundreds of employees who are experts in the business of soccer marketing and television and media negotiations and licensing to provide funding for the Federation so they could achieve their goals. So uh, I disagree with Eric's position and I wholeheartedly disagree with Carlos's position. I statement. Was, I, I was surprised in Philadelphia last week at the United Soccer Coaches Convention by how few people in attendance knew anything about Soccer United marketing and what it does. Could you just explain to listeners, what does it do? You know, I think again, I, I speak to sort of what's going on in our world today. You know, we do live in a, in a little echo chamber. You know, the soccer community is very insular, so it's understanding that candidates, the media, and the members, understandably, will know more about the inner workings of the Federation and its partnership with its key financial partner, and perhaps not 10,000 coaches who are there trying to make our country better uh, from a playing perspective. But it's really very simple, and it's an interesting story, again, one that most people don't know, Grant. In 2001, very challenging time in our country's history, as you know, FIFA could not sell the English language World Cup rights for the 2002 and 2006 World Cup. MLS, led by a plan that, that I put together, 
uh, went to FIFA and said, hey, if you can't sell it, we can't imagine the World Cup in English language from Korea, Japan, and Germany not being on TV. We'll buy it. We'll take the risk. We'll take the risk of finding a broadcaster to air it. We then went to ESPN, John Skipper at that time. It was his first week of work. We convinced him to air the World Cup. We took all the financial risk. We sold all the advertising. We actually produced the U.S. Uh, uh, programming in and around it. That company started in 2002, 2003. We had marketing people. Sell. By the way, we lost money on that. It's just the way it was because it was an important investment that we needed to make. And that company was Soccer United That marketing. company was Soccer okay. United Marketing. Soon thereafter, we had a company that we started. The World Cup in 2002 was over. We hired salespeople, marketing people, television people, and we went out looking for other properties that were doing business in the United States in a way to see how we could professionalize the commercial opportunities in the sport. The NFL does that really well. I did that for 20 years, as does the NBA in baseball. But there was no, there was no commercial expertise in the soccer world at that time. And that's what we put together. We approached the Mexican Federation and bought their rights to produce their exhibition games here in 03. In the United States. In the United States. Yep. Thank you, Grant. And then uh, U.S. soccer had a relationship with IMG, and IMG was losing money on that representation. They came to us and said, listen, you guys are building this company. Why don't we sell you the rest of our contract? In 2004, we bought the IMG contract from uh, IMG contract with U.S. Soccer, and that was our first relationship with U.S. Soccer. Started in 2004. It was three agreements since, and those agreements expire in 2022. Were those were there competitive bids for those three agreements? In the first one, there's no competitive bid because nobody wanted it. We literally bought it at a loss from IMG. In all of our agreements, Grant, it's a traditional in all representation agreements. You have what's called a right of first negotiation or a right of first refusal. No company is going to build a property and build a staff and then do a great job and then lose it without at least having an opportunity to win it back. And that's the, the clauses that we've had in those agreements, in all of our other agreements. It's traditional. So if we did not reach agreement grant with U.S. soccer, they had every right to take it to the market. But it incentivized us to pay more, to provide more servicing, to get our sponsors to activate and create all those Kellogg's boxes and all those other great you know, marketing efforts. Uh, have any of the current board members of U.S. Soccer received any payments from Soccer United Marketing? Do any current board members of U.S. Soccer hold any equity in Soccer United Marketing? No and no. And anybody who says that is just reckless because it's simply not true. You have said publicly that you want MLS to be one of the world's top leagues by 2022. That's just four short years away now. Uh-oh. What factors <laughs> will you consider in deciding whether you have reached that goal? Well, you know, it's a good question, Grant. I think that that is, uh, you know, I don't think there's, there, there's one thing that says we've made it. It really is what is the narrative in and around our league in the world of global football. So yesterday, the chairman of the Chinese FA and the Chinese Super League was in with 50 staff people for a day, by the way, the, the presidents of all their clubs, okay. plus their league staff, to talk to us about what is it that we've done to build a league that we've built. And that, that, that respect, if you will, and this is a league that, by the way, has uh, 23,000 fans a game coming to their, uh, to their matches, spending a whole lot of money on signing foreign players. So what we really need to do is ensure that we have 
respect around the world about the quality of our game. Are we a league of choice for top players and top coaches, and then ultimately for fans, right? We're doing well on the, on the fan. Our, our attendance keeps growing. Our television ratings keep growing. You have guys like Tata Martino. You have guys like Patrick Vieira coming into our league and showing that uh, the, the respect in the global coaching community, that this is a league that can be good for your career and you could uh, have a real impact on young players. We're signing some of the young, best young players in the world. The fact that Barco got signed by Atlanta, when he was being sought after from every major club is an incredible statement about the fact that he's made this a league of choice and there's so many other players have done the same thing in this uh, this last year. And then obviously it is about the next two, fan passion, this environment that we have in our stadiums, which really is electrifying. And then the relevance of our clubs. You know, do we matter? Uh, when you go to a national soccer, soccer convention, do people know who our coaches are? Do they know who our technical directors are? Are they respected for what they can do? Do they matter in their communities? I think we're making a lot of progress. I guess if I'm still there in 22, and I don't know that I will, you'll come to me and say, hey, pal, are you there? <laughs> and then we can debate <laughs> as, as to whether or not we did it. And I think this next question is sort of connected to that. In pursuit of your league's goals, I know you want to have an MLS team show its superiority against Liga MX and every other league in this region. How important is it to you that Toronto or any of your teams, but Toronto's been a very, very good team uh, in the last year. How important is it to you that an MLS team wins CONCACAF Champions League and becomes the first MLS team to compete in a FIFA club world? It's really important, Grant. You know, it's hard to be among the leagues, the world's best leagues, if we're not among the world's best league. I mean, the, the continent's best leagues, if we're not at least as good, if not better than Liga MX. Interestingly, you'll You'll hear soon that we're going to be looking at some competitions with Liga MX so that it's not just the Champions League where we could test ourselves, but there are other competitions that we could do in addition to that. So we have multiple uh, competitive opportunities. But the whole TAM program is sort of an outgrowth of this idea that we need to be more competitive. And what's the difference between us and Mexico? At the top, we're probably similar. At the bottom, we're probably similar. In the middle of their rosters, they're spending so much more money. And they really have skills at that uh, the, the middle uh, aspect of their teams that are just better than ours. So the TAM program is a mechanism to allow our clubs to invest in the middle of their rosters, to do it in a way which very, very targeted, targeted allocation money, so that ultimately we could achieve that goal. Your contract with the league is up at the end of this year. Have you started negotiations for a new contract? Uh, we have. We have. Uh, and uh, I hope to continue for at least a few more years. Um, are you still enjoying this gig? It sounds like you are if you're negotiating for uh, an extension. <laughs> it, it has become more complicated. Uh, there's no doubt that I enjoy it, Grant. I mean, I love the uh, the feeling that I get when I sit around with our staff and I can see how far we've come and be empowered by all the things that we need to do to achieve where we need to go. Personally, more than anything else, while I get tears in my eyes when I go to a Nashville opening and I'll feel the same way in Miami, and I'm sure I'll feel that way when LAFC takes the field in their, their new stadium, what is really empowering is that there is a, a, a shift going on in the league. There are 
young people who are growing up with the sport, who are working at our clubs. As I mentioned, there's 4,000 of them. We have new owners that are coming in that are diversifying the thought around our board table. You should spend some time with them as you did many years ago. The young guns, by the way, 10 of them are thinking about going away and you know going skiing together so that they could talk about what the future is amongst ownership. And all of that shift, all that change, all the innovation that's happening even after 18 years is empowering. So when that stops, when it slows down, when there's less energy amongst ownership, amongst all of our clubs, less excitement amongst our player pool and our partners, then it's time for me to say, I'm done. I feel pretty good about where we are, not without some trauma and some conflict, but at the end of the day, it's been a great ride. Don Garber, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Don Garber as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, and please like and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Ali Wagner, Don Garber, Taylor Twellman, and Luis Robles. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.